Alright, welcome to another edition of White Collar Crimes, where we show you the only color that truly matters in the criminal justice system is green. I'm Ryan Horn, the host. Great to have you back as always. You know, for a lot of us, a big part of our life, a big milestone in our life was getting that first home. You know, it's part of the American dream. It's part of our status. Uh, it's part of uh, something to show for for how hard you work in life. You know, and you know, a lot of us buy a home when we're young. Some people continue, you know, and even buy homes into middle age and as they're older. Uh, but for a lot of people, not all that awfully long ago, talking 2000, 2007, 2008, that dream became a financial nightmare. As we remember when the housing market, the housing bubble burst, and almost the entire U.S. economy came crashing down. You know, there were some other sectors of the economy that were in horrible shape, uh, brought about as we called the Great Recession. It caused, uh, you know, ripples throughout the economy because of uh, a lot of factors. But, you know, we had very high gas prices back then. I can remember in Illinois here, back then, some were over $4 a gallon. And I also remember, uh, you know, at the time, you know, the auto industry going almost belly up and, you know, many of them having to get a bailout from the government. And, you know, of course, a lot of people having their homes brought into foreclosure that year. Those were all things going on around that time, and it was a very difficult time to, uh, you know, be in this country. And as this went about, we soon learned that the housing boom was really all brought about. It was all just kind of a smoke and mirrors propped up by a phony, you know, subprime mortgage rates. The teaser rates, as they were called, the ARMS, adjustable rate mortgages, they blurred people in buyers in with very low rates that uh, they could afford at first and then once that uh, arm rate you know kicked into a higher rate a couple years down the road whatever you know these you know the payments soon went up to levels that you know most people were not able to afford and they you know as we saw lost their homes Um, as we found out the loans that were going on at that time really were predatory in nature um I was working at the sheriff's office back at this time, and I remember watching the news one morning, getting ready for work, having breakfast, and this is back when, you know, 2007, 2008, we were still watching news on television, and they showed an example, I believe it was in Kansas City, of a couple that bought a house, a $300,000 home, and they had a combined income of about, I'd say, 25,000 if I remember right just a crazy low amount well obviously even with a easy teaser teaser rate brought in they weren't going to be able to keep that up on that low of an income not a home of that magnitude and obviously they like a lot of other people you know lost their home there's a really good movie that explains this situation as well I would recommend that's called the big short I have shown this to some of my criminal justice classes that I teach and it's a really good movie that explains this housing bubble and how it all came about. You've got an ensemble cast in it. You know, Steve Carell's in it, uh, Brad Pitt, Christian Bale, Ryan Gosling. Really, really good actors in this. And it really does a good job explaining what happened in this case. And we're going to take a little bit of a look into it. But it's speculated also that the dot-com boom at this time, and this is in the 90s and going into the, even the late 90s, it brought about the low interest rates that also allowed some of this to happen. Uh, 
You know, it was also probably brought about by Alan Greenspan, who was then the uh, Federal Reserve chairman, dropped the interest rates below 1% in 2001. So, you know, pretty cheap to borrow money then. So that's exactly what happened. Uh, Many in business did privately begin borrowing money that, you know, we found out not all could pay back. And it seemed that the housing market pretty much was unstoppable. A uh, record number of homes were being bought, you know, and again, that's something we all want, you know. Uh, you know, I can remember how excited I was. You know, I was in my late 20s when I bought my first house, and it was a small house, just a little, you know, standard two-bedroom home like you see a lot around here where I live. But uh, it was a really exciting day for me to buy something like that. And, uh, you know, it's just there's really something great about owning a home. You know, any of you that have, that own it know what we're talking about. You know, compared to renting, you know, there's just more freedom. You know, the only advantage is the renting. You know, you don't have to pay for repairs, but you're also kind of subject to your landlord when they feel like getting around to making these repairs too. And, you know, you don't have a lot of freedom. You can't do things with the rental property like you do with a home that you own. So, you know, most of us, I'd say we do enjoy owning a home versus renting. So with this easy, cheap money out there to be bought or to be taken, a lot of people bought into it and they were, you know, getting these loans left and right and they were getting these homes. And uh, as I said just a second ago, though, once these teaser rates dropped off and the regular rates kicked in, they were just rates simply they could not afford. You know, there's a scene, and I'm sure this is, you know, in the movie, a lot of scenes in the movie, even though it's the big short is a really good movie and really, I think, pretty accurate of what happened. They, they do still add some, you know, scenes, as they call, for creativity and, you know, add a little bit of extra spice in it and whatnot. But there's a scene where Steve Carell and the guys and this tells a story how true story how some some men saw this coming and you know sounded the alarm and not enough people obviously believed him but he's in this strip club and even a dancer stripper down there in Miami is talking about all these homes that she owns and you know how these rates she's not aware of how they're going to kick in and harm her later again you know who knows if that actually happened or not but it makes the point that even you know in jobs like that you know strippers in these clubs were able to buy homes down there and that's when they knew there was a bubble something wasn't right and again a lot of them were mocked and scorned you know at that time it seemed pretty dumb to bet against the uh, real estate market you know that it's very well explained again in that movie and you know that's something that uh, at this time you know, we'd never really probably seen a real monumental collapse of the housing market, except for maybe, you know, the Great Depression and some other times during that. But there's others, there are others also that did see this coming, and they did sound off the alarm to warn as well. Um, Congressman Ron Paul, who's retired now, but back then he warned that uh, this was coming, and he sent out, you know, some warnings on some other things, and not always been taken seriously, but, uh, on a lot of things, he has actually been proven to be right, and he certainly was in this case. Uh, you know, anyone that could put two and two together could see that the, this could not sustain itself. You know, it's great that people were buying homes, but in the end, if a good chunk of them are not able to afford and sustain them and keep these homes, and they go into foreclosure, it does no one good. You know, it doesn't do the borrowers any good because they don't recoup their money like they need to. And it obviously doesn't do good for the economy when people are having to resettle and, you know, move in with relatives or friends. Or, unfortunately, I'm sure there's a great deal from that that ended up homeless even from this. As scary as that sounds, that's what happened. And, uh, 
President George W. Bush originally thought that uh, once homes became too expensive, people would stop buying them and it would all kind of even out. But as we now know here, fast forwarded into the year 2021 when we're talking about this, that is not what happened. And others in the industry, uh, such as the home loan giant Freddie Mac, they denied that uh, there was any type of crisis coming. You know, Bear Stearns, there's a, you know, another big one that was a big player in this. And there were many, way too many for us to cover just in this one little podcast. But, you know, it makes sense. I mean, even if some of them did see it coming, I doubt they were going to admit it this early on. That You know, because I don't think they wanted to create a panic and, you know, have people suddenly stop buying homes or suddenly start trying to sell homes they have. So they were in denial about it and, you know, pretty much kept kept it up that uh, everything's fine. You got nothing to worry about. The housing market is rock solid and uh, keep investing. However, in March 2007, home sales and prices began to decline noticeably. And this brought about the U.S. Senate Banking Committee to hold some hearings to kind of determine you know, the methods of many of the top lenders, what they were doing, what uh, was on the horizon, maybe what could be done to prevent this. Uh, you know, at this time, they're starting to take a little bit of an early look in it because, as we remember, that's kind of when the Great Recession, as they called it, kind of started to kick in. About late 2007 is when, you know, the things in this country, like, you know, financially for sure, certainly became unraveled. And a few months later, March 2008, the Dow Jones dropped to its lowest level in about two years. Another good sign, another good warning, good indicator that things are not as they appear. And the FBI suddenly gets to work. They arrest what was reported over 400 you know, people for mortgage fraud. But the problem is, as we'll see, it probably most likely were not the big players in who brought this about. And that is the problem with this case. I'll go ahead and say it now rather than later at the pod at the end of the podcast these type of cases we don't always just know who to nail it down to when there's so many people involved and in this case it's not just a big corporation like you know we talked about the Ford Pinto case on here you know how hard that was to nail it down to one person you know who was really responsible for making the Ford Pinto unsafe well in this case not only did you have banking involved in this but also it's possible government you know we don't really know to what level they were in in bed together on this and how much they uh all profited on this and as we see unfortunately uh, as always none of the real big shots went to jail uh you know that's pointed out in this movie the big short as well in the end i think uh there's one german guy i think that one of the big wigs that, that end up going to jail but none of the top people went for this again if there are any that went they were all low-level ones, as we see. You know, uh, 400 people were arrested, scattered throughout the country, but to my knowledge, uh, none of them were the real big fish or the real big players in this, and that far too many times is the case, and that was the case here because there were so many banks involved, there were so many lenders involved, and, you know, we don't know, or it was very hard to prove the intent of just how predatory their lending was. Obviously, they had to have known this could not be sustained they were taking advantage of uh you know a lot of as we see you know immigrants and you know poorer people and people who normally would not be able to afford to buy a home they were taking advantage of and again even the government we don't even know you know to the level their involvement in this could what it was you know it was all 
in the end, as we'll see in a little bit, kind of all swept under the rug and, you know, everybody lived happily ever after with hardly anybody actually paying for what they needed to. But three months later, uh, a few ex-Bear Stearns fund managers, they were arrested also, but again, smaller, lower-level folks, uh, for their fraudulent low role in the subprime mortgage crisis. And they misrepresented the financial reality, really, to the investors. Bear Stearns was a big one in this. They uh, were, again, in denial, refused to admit anything was wrong. And... While they were doing this, their people were secretly withdrawing their money because they knew this was coming. They didn't have the wherewithal or the integrity to warn their investors to do this, so they did it to save their own money. But uh, the people who kept their money in to financial giants like Bear Stearns, as we'll see, they lost everything. Well, by the year's end, this is by the year's end of 2008, foreclosures have shot through the roof. Over 3 million were filed in 2008. And some areas hit a lot harder than others. Now, in southern Illinois, where I live, honestly, we were not really hit that hard by this. It's always been, honestly, kind of a rural and somewhat economically depressed area. So we really weren't hit very hard by this. But my wife and I lived in Florida about 10 years ago. And a few years after this had really you know, bottomed out, and they were still reeling from this. Uh, a lot of homes you could see down there. I would dare say about one out of every five or six homes it seemed like you would see in some of the towns down in Florida had foreclosure signs in the uh, in the yards. It was that bad. So some places were certainly hit harder than others, but throughout the country, you know, by far more than we'd seen in many, many years, you know, three million filed. Banks began to close, you know, IndyMac, I remember, was a big one, you know, in Indianapolis area that shut down. Uh, the auto industry, as I talked about, they nearly went be- belly up. Uh, GM, Chrysler, a lot of them took bailouts, if I recall correctly. I don't think Ford did. They were one of the few that did not. And uh, a lot of industries nearly collapsed as well. As we said, a lot of people were hit hard back then because at this time gas was through the roof, you know, and... It was just a tough time for a lot of people. Uh, There were uh, scenes I can remember that were showing how bad the arrogance was from these folks. If a lot of you recall, some of these uh, people from different banks and and auto uh, executives were coming to beg for a bailout from the United States government, coming before the United States Senate, and flying in and private jets and taking limos and you know coming in in nice tuxedos and everything like that just the gall and the arrogance from that was nauseating to a lot of everyday folks and on top of that it was later found out that even though a lot of these uh ceos and bankers and people that had basically almost driven their companies into the dirt were given large bonuses and given you know raises and nice compensation packages and everything like that well you know, Joan and Joe Sixpack, you know, lost their home and everything they had from this. Again, who suffers in these? It's the, you know, smaller level and the, you know, working and middle class people. Those are always the ones that do. It's almost never the ones at the top. And that certainly is unfortunately what happened here. Uh, very few of the high level people were ever even charged. So, the number of lives that was probably destroyed from this and the vast number of homes that were lost, you know, we'll never really truly know the, the deep impact this had because losing your home has got to be one of the most stressful events 
I would think, you know, you can have as an adult, you know, having to start all over literally from scratch or move in with friends or family or resettle in a homeless shelter, something like that has to be this, you know, something that is traumatic and stays with you for the rest of your life. And there's countless amounts of people that did this happen to, you know, I don't know the story of all, obviously, and we don't of all the three million people that did have their homes foreclosed during this time, but I dare say a good chunk of them experienced just these type of things. And that's tragic because, again, the people at the top that were responsible for this, for this predatory lending and taking advantage of people, they weren't ever really truly punished for it. You know, again, some smaller level people were, but the big fish that really drove this, the the large banks and you know, probably government officials and people that were really behind driving this, they didn't suffer for it. They didn't serve any time in jail. They didn't lose their homes. They didn't end up out in the street. But unfortunately for many honest, hardworking, everyday Americans, that's exactly what did happen to them. And in the end, the lenders ended up with the bailouts. They still got their money and they lived happily ever after. A lot of them rebuilt. Now, not all of them. Some of the banks did close permanently and and never reopened and whatnot. But uh, the overwhelming majority of them survived or they went in and got jobs in other industries or uh, other, you know, sectors of banking and managed to survive and get on. So the average American, though, however, was not that lucky. And, you know, like I said, the results from this, I think it kind of stung the average American for a long, long time on this because... You know, like I said, even three or four years later after all this, when we were in Florida, they were still reeling from it. And a lot of places in the country were like that. And, you know, for unfortunately for some people, they're probably not ever going to want to uh, ever buy a home again, you know. Um, you know, and also, you know, we don't know the effects of, you know, the credit that this had for people when you have to file bankruptcy or have your home foreclosed on, the negative effects of, having to file bankruptcy or again, you know, having your home taken from you, that's something that can stay on your credit for many, many years and hurt your future chances of doing that. So unfortunately, a lot of people suffered in that regard as well, but not the folks that were behind lending this money, not the ones that were responsible for the deceit and taking advantage of people and, you know, the dishonesty and all those things like that. They didn't face those type of consequences, and unfortunately, they almost never do. So hopefully over time, you know, we'll learn from this, but who knows? Uh, unfortunately, I do see some things on the horizon that kind of have my concern that we could be headed for times like this again. Um, hopefully not, but it just certainly looks like it could happen. But again, with so few people punished in situations like this and crimes like this, they don't always just... Uh, have enough incentive out there to keep people from doing this again. And I don't know if enough of a lesson was learned from this to stop something like this from ever happening again. And did we as a country learn our lesson or will we fall for something like this again? Is there another big short uh, waiting out here to happen? Only time will tell. And we have to keep our guard up. On this show, we will continue to share stories like this and try to educate the public on How much white-collar crime does go on, as I always say, not all the criminals out there are your street hoodlums and, you know, average everyday street criminals. There's plenty of powerful Wall Street people in suits and ties that destroy just as many or more lives. So we will try to keep an eye out on all of them and shine a light of justice on as many as we can. 
Well, coming up, we got episodes, like I said, I'm going to, in the past, I'm working on getting Greg Yulinchich back in, a former co-host of mine, occasional co-host. We are going to be doing one on uh, NCAA crimes and scandals and things of that sort. Got a lot of good episodes like that coming up and a few other scandals, maybe uh, some other ones coming up from the oil industry and some other uh, big sectors of the United States economy. And also, I'd always like to, if I get a chance to do, we do have a foster puppy right now uh, named Peter Piper. He's looking for a home. He looks to be maybe a wiener dog, some type of terrier mix. But as I always say, if you are going to adopt a friend, get one from your local shelter. That's the best friend waiting for you. And if you can, even foster pets, take one in your home. Wife and I have done it. It's been a very, very rewarding experience for us, and I would recommend anybody do it. But we thank you for your listening with us. Uh, you can donate to us. There is a link on the Anchor page where you can donate to the show if you would like to. Uh, most importantly, though, like I always say, we do enjoy having you listening much more. And we appreciate your viewership much more. Uh, you can follow us on my Facebook page, White Collar Crimes. Also on my website, ryan-horn.com. Also be glad to provide voiceover service for any of you do. We are also involved in that industry. But as always, God bless you. Thank you for tuning in. And we look forward to seeing you on the next episode of White Collar Crimes.